Welcome to the J Crypto Audio Experience. First off, thanks for coming. Second off, I want to congratulate you for investing in the education of blockchain, cryptocurrency, NFTs, decentralized finance, all those terms that when you first hear you go, what the hell does that mean? Blockchain is a technology shift, guys. Once in a lifetime opportunity. This is Malibu beachfront property, $1,000 per the acre. Now, to take advantage of it properly, you got to invest in that education. And that's what you're here for. That's what I'm here for. So let's learn together. All right. What is up, guys? Jay Crypto here once again. So today I just wanted to talk about decentralized finance, uh, DeFi. So basically, if you can earn 10% on your money annually in a safe way, uh, does that sound pretty interesting? Well, to a lot of investors, their actual annual goal is 10%. In fact, the 10% return on their investment is incredible. Not to mention if they were just to store their money away into a uh, bank and earn 10% on that without having to do anything at all. So that's what decentralized finance allows us to do and so much more. It eliminates a lot of barriers that de- that finance has um, for the average person to kind of capitalize on services that banks do themselves, but they do the they do them themselves while holding your money and they profit off of the services instead of you but you're actually providing them the funds when you deposit money into a bank to allow them to play their game to allow them to do the services that create revenue for the actual bank whether it be lending money out or positioning themselves in different markets or um, making private investments Whatever it be, they get the funds from you because you're the end user. So decentralized finance, uh, using blockchain technology, we are able now to have a peer-to-peer trust. Like we can trust basically the transaction of value over the internet digitally. And that's what blockchain allows. And that's where a lot of people I talk to when they first you know, think about cryptocurrency they think about uh dogecoin and bitcoin and they don't really understand that these cryptocurrencies some of them are layer one some are some of them are layer two some of them are decentralized applications and that expands the horizons a lot for people because once you understand that blockchain technology operates similar similarly to how an iphone operates where you can you know, choose whether you want, or a smartphone, excuse me, you can choose whether you want an iPhone, an Android, and then you can also, you know, set up your iPhone with a bunch of different apps that can help your life. For example, Uber, you could put Uber on there and use Uber. For example, you can have an online bank account. So really the smartphone is just a platform. You choose which brand of smartphone you want, and then you use all the applications on that smartphone. That's the current state of decentralized finance because we have what these things are called and they're called blockchains. Now, blockchains are basically the smartphone in this example. And then you have 
what are called layer two solutions, which are built onto the blockchain. So they work with the primary blockchain and then they have a separate you know, layer of blockchain and that can provide leaf, uh, relief to the additional, to the primary blockchain, excuse me, or add more functionality, you know, like for Bitcoin, Bitcoin is actually a blockchain. And when that, that's a layer one, and then the lightning network would be like a layer two solution for Bitcoin. You know what I mean? So that's just an example or Ethereum. So Ethereum is actually a blockchain. It's actually a platform. It's an Android. It's a smartphone has a completely different use case than Bitcoin does though. Bitcoin's you got to understand guys, Bitcoin, you got to understand Bitcoin. Once you understand Bitcoin, then you got to understand Ethereum. And once you understand those two, that kind of opens the horizons up a bit because Ethereum is like, I should not, I should probably not compare Bitcoin to the smartphone. Bitcoin is its own thing. It's the granddaddy of all cryptocurrencies. That's true. It's a cryptocurrency. It's a true cryptocurrency. And there are things being implemented to Bitcoin to make it more useful, but its main use case is a hedge against inflation and a bet on the adoption of blockchain technology. Uh, it's a store of value. Whereas Ethereum is more like an, you know, a smartphone. It's more like a smartphone. And as a smartphone, you can build applications onto it and you can use those applications. Um, that's what's happening right now. We are living through a great technology shift, bigger than any technology shift that we've ever had before. And the reason for that is because every single year that goes by, every single decade that goes by, technology actually speeds up. So the technology that we're able to implement now is light years ahead in terms of, uh, the exponential, like growth of technology uh, than what we could have done in a 10 year period, maybe like a, you know, a hundred years ago. Uh, the birth of the internet kind of sparked that. And now we're, we're going to see technology move quicker and quicker from here on in. But I will tell you that blockchain will be one of the biggest disruptive technologies uh, or actually probably the most disruptive technology for governments and for banks. The reason why is because this technology allows us to transfer value in a way that we actually can, you know, see and we can trust peer to peer. So that's why it's disruptive to financial institutions like banks or even or even places like stock markets and and basically, you know, anything that we need trust to govern or run. So, you know, a broker or a stock market, it's very disruptive to all those things. And it's disruptive to governments because on the blockchain, you can also verify governance through voting. And that is why it's disruptive to governance, because you can not only transfer value, but you can also transfer voting power. You can transfer votes. You can transfer governance um, through tokenomics on the blockchain. And all we're doing with blockchain is we're setting up a protocol. Then everyone has a chance to see the protocol and understand the protocol. And then they get to decide if they want to use the protocol. Now, decentralization and centralization are another couple terms that you should probably know. A centralized governance is something that can be tweaked and controlled from the top down. 
A decentralized governance is something that can be tweaked and controlled from the bottom up. So if you look at it like a pyramid, if you visualize a pyramid, well, if you look at a company, let's take Starbucks, for example. Starbucks can make changes from their CEO down to their marketing, down to their you know store locations, down to their employees. But the CEO or you know the chief executive officer, the CEO, the CFO, all the guys at the top of that pyramid are making decisions that affect the entire company bottom down. But with decentralization, what you have is a bottom up system where basically all the users of a company like Starbucks can actually own a portion of the Starbucks um, entire equity, right, through tokenization. And then they can vote. And whoever has the most tokens can actually have the most voting power. So based on that, you could first, it's, it's different than a stock. You got to get the old concept of the stock out of your mind because though there are shareholder meetings and things of that nature, true decentralization could actually be, you know, someone from Asia could buy 51% of the entire company themselves, right? And then they could literally have more voting power than half of the company or more than half the company. And that's where decentralization kind of takes into effect. So you can set up your tokenomics however you want. You can make it so that way it's not based on how many tokens you hold. But the the decentralized part is that anybody can buy into the company and make changes from the ground up through voting. And usually you'll see that, you know, 91%, 80% of the entire, you know, people that vote have to agree on something for something to pass and that's why you have all these different applications that have what are called proposals for the protocol because they're allowed since they're investors into it to constantly change and pass different things and then the the developers of the project will actually be in charge of making that happen hence the ceo's role will still be in effect hence the employee's role will still be in effect but since it's bottom up Everything is going to start from the actual users of the product. So whether it be the coffee drinkers of Starbucks or even the employees. Now the employees can also, you know, buy in and, and make make decisions too. But but the real the real point of it is a drastic change in the infrastructure of how we've done things for a while. And uh, I'm I'm a bit younger. I'm 23, so obviously that's interesting because I've only seen this in my young professional adult life since i've been interested in bitcoin for so long things of that nature um so i'm I'm really living in the main shift but for a lot of people who are a bit older you know it's it's very hard to imagine uh this taking place because it disrupts everything that we've ever known so that's that's so decentralization and centralization big big key terms gives the power to the end users it gives power from the bottom up so DeFi, decentralized finance where does that come into place well basically with decentralized finance um you have applications that you can use so there's one there's one thing that you should probably know which is there's there's a whole host of decentralized financial tools at your disposal and there's varying degrees to how centralized and how decentralized something is. In fact, we're finding that sometimes you need a bit of centralization to make something truly effective. Sometimes you don't, though. And there's still services 
Like, for example, if you're a, you know, head of a bank, right? And you're an incredible CEO of a big bank, then yeah, there can still be a place for you in this decentralized world. But chances are, as we move more digital, you'll have less need for all the things that are causing you great overhead. And the reason for this is because if I can give you an example, we already have something that is a true digital bank, if you will, for the people. And that's called Celsius. Now, the way that Celsius works is you can deposit crypto or you can deposit where are called stable coins. Stable coins is the crypto version of the US dollar. It's backed, it's pegged to the US dollar. Now, I'm not talking about algorithmic stable coins. I'm not talking about partially collateralized stable coins. I'm talking about true one-to-one ratio from US dollar to stable coin. So all you got to do, and think of how crazy this is. If you're an end user, you can take a million dollars. You can put it into Coinbase. So now you're probably going to have $998,000 after all the fees. So once you have that $998,000, then what you can do is you can literally put it all into stable coins, right? When you put it all into stable coins, you can send it over to Celsius, okay? And now Celsius will basically do traditional banking services. And just by holding it in Celsius, you will be gaining an 11% interest rate on all your money. So that means that you will be gaining about $110,000 a year from your million dollar investment. And Celsius is one of the safest options out there. And Celsius is run by Alex Mishinsky. Uh, Mashinsky, it's hard to pronounce his last name, but this man, this is his fourth, I believe, unicorn company. And he has basically no overhead, if you think about it. He's, or very little, at least. So he's able to use this decentralized framework to not only not be completely decentralized because he still needs to have some people that work for him to do the traditional banking services and run all the operations on the tech side of things. However, this greatly reduces his overhead because now he doesn't need physical locations. He's probably raking in about 20% of the profit and he's giving 80% back to the community and he's able to do it worldwide and it's super easy to use his application. Um, Certain places you can't use it on the web, you have to use it on your phone, but yeah, like so on and so forth. Another thing that you can do on Celsius is you can actually deposit crypto and earn interest on crypto. So that's very interesting too, because if you have a appreciating asset like Bitcoin, which has done around 400% on average year over year, um, compared to the US dollar, which is depreciating at about 30% year over year, then you're earning interest on it as well. I mean, that's pretty darn good. However, it's totally up to you if you want to do that. Some people don't like the hassle of earning interest on an appreciating asset, especially when it comes to the institutional or business level, just because it can be a big headache when it comes to taxes and filings and things of that nature. Um, However, Celsius, believe it or not, has some of the safest, I would say, uh, but at the same time, lowest interest rates. That's where we get into DeFi. So with DeFi, you can do a whole host of different shit (laughs) you can do what's called yield farming you can add liquidity um, and act as a liquidity pool provider you can do you can play you know bets if it's legal you can do options trading 
you can basically do anything that you would just without having, you know, a centralized party in the middle. All you need to do is use what's called a decentralized application. So one example of this is flash loans. So with flash loans, what you can do is if you have an appreciating asset like Bitcoin, right? Then if you deposit that onto a decentralized application, okay, onto what's called a lending protocol, like Aave, what's really neat about this is the only other asset that you can really do this with is a house. So if you deposit Bitcoin onto what's called a lending protocol, like Aave, Aave, A-A-V-E, that's called Aave. Now, Aave is very interesting. So you deposit, uh, let's say you got Bitcoin. Let's say you, you, you did well, because this is probably the best time to do something like this. Let's say that you bought $100,000 worth of Bitcoin, or let's say $10,000 worth of Bitcoin, and it turns to $500,000 over the course of, you know, I don't know, four years, something of that nature. Well, here's what happens. You can actually now, if you need to, take out a loan against your Bitcoin. You can do what's called a flash loan with no KYC, which stands for know your customer. So all you need is what's called a decentralized wallet. You can use a MetaMask. You can use a, a, a math wallet. You can use all these different wallets. So I'll do another video on that if you guys want. But you use a wallet, you deposit your Bitcoin, right? So let's say you deposit $500,000 worth of Bitcoin, okay? Then what you can do is basically you deposit $500,000 worth of Bitcoin. You can now take out $250,000 worth of stable coins, okay? And now you have that $250,000 worth of stable coins. You can transfer it into your bank account. Okay, so now you have $250,000 and your Bitcoin is locked up. So now your net worth would be $750,000. However, here's the thing. If you do not pay back your, you know, sum of money that you owe. So let's say you owe $250,000 plus interest. So let's say that you owe I don't know. Let's just let's just use this. It's going to be way higher than it actually would be. But let's say that you owe three hundred thousand dollars at the end of the term, right? If you if your Bitcoin goes down to let's say a hundred thousand dollars, right? Then basically your locked up Bitcoin is now worth less than what your loan is. Okay. But here's the cool thing that happens. Number one, the $250,000 that you take out in stable coins, it's non-taxable. So you just got $240,000 non-taxable of appreciation on your $10,000 investment, your initial $10,000 investment. Okay. You got, because you got 250,000 US, US um, stable coins, 250,000 stable coins. Now it can't be taxed. You know why? Because it's debt. So since it's debt, it can't be taxed. So now you have, you're locked up. You got you got $500,000 locked up. I know, I understand. You, you definitely want that too. But let me tell you this. You just didn't pay taxes on, on $240,000 because it's debt. It's debt. So now you have 200 
and $50,000 worth of stablecoin. You have your principal again, right? And less, you know, inflation, of course, but you have $250,000. Now, what's really interesting is if your initial locked up amount goes below what you borrowed because of the volatile nature of Bitcoin, here's the really interesting part. Boom. Guess what happens? It gets liquidated and you don't owe a cent to Aave. You don't owe a cent. So you can take out a flash loan for multiple reasons. Maybe you need the money or maybe you just want to protect against volatility. Maybe at the height of a market, when you've made a lot of money, you just want to protect against volatility. So you take it out in stable coins, right? What's great about that is you got to pay it back in stable coins. So there's no volatility on the upside. So as Bitcoin appreciates, let's say that that 500,000 goes to a million, right? Well, now you can take out against the additional appreciation as well. So if Bitcoin keeps going up, you can just keep using it as a bank, similar to how people use their homes as a bank in 2008. <laughs> but the only difference is if it goes to the point of appreciation plus interest, right? So if it go, or um, excuse me, if it goes to the point of your loan plus interest, so let's say that you owe a total of 300,000 from taking $250,000 worth of stable coins, but Bitcoin goes from 500 to 300,000. At that point, Bitcoin will be liquidated. Okay. And it'll be liquidated into stable coins and it'll pay back anyone who supplied money to the protocol um, for those loans, if you will. This is only possible through blockchain. It's only possible through decentralized finance. And as you guys can see, there's millions of use cases about to explode. So I would definitely encourage you to educate yourselves on it because finance as we know it is about to change. Not to mention when we get into financial planning. <laughs> just wait until if you guys are if this blows your mind, just wait until we get into financial planning on the blockchain. I mean, it is just going to be so much better for you in every single way. Right now, my biggest suggestion is to educate yourself because what's going to happen is these things are being, if you're using DeFi right now, you're kind of like a guinea pig because there's hacks, there's things called rug pulls. But if you want to just use a little bit of money and play around with it, go for it. You know, I'm not a financial advisor, so don't take my, my advice for it, but have some fun. Check it out. It's the best way to learn. And you don't need a lot to get into it you just need a lot of time because it takes a lot of time to learn this shit however guys the point of learning it excuse me for my french by the way the point of learning it now is you'll be ahead of the game but just wait till insurance gets disrupted by blockchain i mean the insurance model is a win-win for the insurance companies because what happens is what i call these cycles of wealth okay and, and these cycles of wealth are great business models, but the only thing about it that's you know going to change is now these cycles of wealth will be more available to us or the normal person. So in an insurance company, what basically happens is they sell insurance and they have a guy, right? His main job is to calculate. So let's say that they sell, let's say one of the insurances that an insurance company sells is for protection against lightning, right? Well, the guy will calculate, okay? The guy will calculate based on how many times people die from a lightning strike, okay? <laughs> and let's say it goes into a major policy like life insurance. 
So how many people die from lightning? Okay. He'll have to calculate how many people die from lightning. And then he will present those numbers to the company. And the company will make a decision based on that, on how much premium they want to take in every single you know, month, every single year on the bet that somebody will die from lightning or a car crash or anything else. Let's just talk about life insurance. So he'll calculate all those different things that cause people to die. Okay. Then what will happen is after he calculates all those different things, the insurance company will come up with a rate that makes them profit. Even if as many people, as he says, dies. Now, if nobody dies, that's great too. So then what will happen is banks will sometimes buy these policies. They will. So this is where the cycle of wealth comes in because what they'll do is they'll buy a policy. They'll take in the premium. Okay. And then let's say that they're, you know, making money, even though people are dying and they have to pay life insurance. And I'm not trying to be heartless. I'm just trying to be like a little bit like educate a little bit people that maybe don't know how this works, but a bank may buy the policy. They may take in some premium against people dying. Right. And then they'll take that premium, that cash flow, and they'll use it and they'll lend it out. They'll lend it out. They'll use OPM, other people's money. They'll lend it out. Now what they're doing is since they're lending it out, number one, they're creating revenue streams for themselves from insurance because it's a calculated risk. They know that only on average, a certain amount of people die every year from a certain event. And that's what the policy covers. So then they'll take it out and they'll lend it out and then they'll create an infinite cycle of wealth because they'll be creating revenue from the interest of lending it out. And that's a cycle of wealth. Now, I'm not saying that banks don't do a great job at this. In fact, some banks like have to be very savvy and smart and it's a skill. But what I am saying is DeFi allows the average person to get in on these models as an investor. And it allows the average person to benefit from their own policies. For example, some protocols for insurance, which are super fascinating. And another part of decentralized finance is insurance. Another part of decentralized finance is NFTs, non-fungible tokens. There's a lot of different pieces to the pie. So uh, insurance protocols, you may benefit as somebody who holds the token because just by holding the token, now you may have, you know, a share of the pool of insurance. So basically what happens is the token price may be more than the insurance coverage. Okay. So let's say that for every $50 token, you have $40 worth of insurance. Now what happens though, is when everybody is supplying tokens to the protocol, now that $40 of insurance becomes a lot more because only one or two people may die out of 10 or 20 or 30. And that insurance only gets acted in those cases. Now this has still a lot of ways to improve, but Basically, what it does, guys, is it allows peer-to-peer insurance, and it kind of takes out that middleman. Um, It's super early, but it is coming, and it will disrupt insurance, and that's just one of the ways that it can. Uh, There's lots of different insurances out there already for decentralized finance because DeFi is risky, so some insurance protocols actually allow you to get insurance on DeFi. So if you're using a lot of money, then you should go look into some of these insurance protocols and certain blockchains and make sure that you're covered because if you're going to be you know risking a lot of money then you should probably buy some insurance 
And a lot of these insurance protocols are actually win-wins for you because you're covered, but you also get an asset that you can have and like own. And that way, if you ever do run the risk of something, you're covered because you own an asset in the insurance protocol that, that gives you a lot of insurance, a lot more. It's almost like leveraging your buy into the protocol. And then with leveraging your buy into the protocol, that's giving you coverage. But you can sell your asset because with blockchain and DeFi, there's constant liquidity behind all your assets. And that's why you can exchange them on places like Uniswap or One Inch or PancakeSwap or QuickSwap, depending on the blockchain that you're using. So DeFi is a dark, is a deep, deep rabbit hole. Uh, I just wanted to give you guys some quality content on everything you need to know about DeFi in some terms. I really want to get into NFTs with you guys because that's another one that's like, oh, that's a huge, huge rabbit hole, man. That's a big, that's like an Alice in Wonderland rabbit hole. Cause that's going to disrupt real estate. That's going to disrupt the way that we do contracts. That's going to disrupt art. It already has. It's going to disrupt basically anything that is unique that we need to verify. Notaries. It's going to disrupt everything. So that being said, this is Jay Crypto. I hope you enjoyed this and let's uh, stop here and I'll get into another episode about NFTs.